Well, aloha. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School for today, April 10th of 2011. My name is Michael Benner. Good to be here. And uh, looking forward to discussing our topic for the day today, which is an anxiety disorder called OCD, or Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. I was talking about this with my wife, Doreen, earlier this morning, and we were saying, you know, it's really true that everybody has a touch of both obsession and compulsion, and so good mental health is not to be absolutely free of a nagging concern about this or that. It's a matter of who's in control. Are you managing your thoughts and feelings, or are your thoughts and feelings in charge? Are they running you? Is it a matter of wanting to behave in a certain way or absolutely having to behave, or seemingly so? Um, Because what's dysfunctional about OCD is um, those behaviors that are no longer a choice, but where you're actually compelled to think or act in a certain way. And at the root of OCD, of course, is anxiety. We should define our terms a little bit at the top. But before I get into it, I want to remind you to join our new social net if you're interested in personal and spiritual development. We have a kind of a Facebook page just for you. It's uh, called a Ning site, N-I-N-G. And we currently have about 135 members. So we're getting to the point where this could begin to really work well if we can improve the communication a little bit. So it has a discussion area. It has a blog area. Uh, You can upload JPEGs and videos. You can message other members, uh, complete your profile so other members can find you and, you know, share, find out who shares your interest in this or that. You know, what what part of personal development are you interested in? You can find like-minded women and men. And the website is very similar to the homepage for everything that I do. My personal website is theagelesswisdom.com. And the T-H-E is part of it, so after the W's, it's dot the agelesswisdom.com. The social net is very similar. It's after the W's dot theagelesswisdom.ning.com. And Ning, again, is N-I-N-G, like Nancy, India, Nancy, Gulf. All right? Theagelesswisdom.ning.com. We'll take you to the, well, that said, the social net site for people interested in personal and spiritual development. If you're already on the site, I want to call your attention to a message I sent out to all the members this morning about a new feature we just added, which is a daily digest. And if you'd like to enroll in this or sign up for it, all you have to do is 
go to the website, theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Click on the main page if it's not already booted. You should go to the main page when you first log in anyway. And scroll down, looking right in the middle of the website, below the videos, right below the videos is an area where you can sign up for the Daily Digest. And you can choose the times of day that it's emailed to you. Uh, you can choose to monitor all of the changes and additions to the website or only certain areas. And... Um, take you less than 60 seconds to do the whole thing. Although while you're there, if you've, as I say, already signed up, you're already a member, it's absolutely free, of course. But you haven't yet flushed out your profile. I'd encourage you to do that. There's a lot of people that have silhouettes where we should have a nice headshot or at least an avatar. I know that people are bashful, well, put up some sort of icon or avatar, if not a headshot, and get rid of that silhouette icon, that generic silhouette, and add some information about yourself so people can find you. And let's begin to activate this website. <clears throat> Excuse me, now that we have, uh, as I say, 130-some members, there's no reason that we can't begin to really activate this. Also, start a discussion thread. You know, most of what you'll see in the forum or discussion thread are posts about the upcoming mystery school. But I'm not trying to dominate that. If you look carefully, you'll see other people have started discussion threads, and I'd encourage you to do that. Or upload some JPEGs or add a video. Um, look around and enjoy the site. And meet other people, make some friends, and send some messages. And we'll start to activate this, okay? And also invite your friends, too, those who you know who are interested in personal growth and success and, and fulfillment. That's really what it's all about. All right? So thank you for that. I want to remind you, this program, the Sunday webinar, in addition to being live at 1 o'clock West Coast time every Sunday, is also available by podcast. And you can pick that up at the iTunes store or any of the major podcast directories on the Internet. The search engine works so much better at the iTunes store. I'd encourage you to try that first. iTunes, of course, a free download for PCs and Macs. And while you're there, we'd love it if you'd rate and comment upon this podcast. That helps to get new listeners, as we say, to drive traffic to the website. So just put an honest rating and your personal feeling about what you like about the webinar, and uh, that'll help, especially if we get new updated comments, right? So thank you for that. Okay, I'll tell you a little more about the premium audio upgrade at the end of the class today. We'll also take your comments and your questions, either by text or by telephone. Remember, you can do that at any time. If uh, you're listening to the web feed live this morning, there should be a text box in the lower left-hand corner of your page. If you don't see that, click on Ask a Question at any time. 
You can type it in with your name and your city. Click on Submit, again, at any time during the class today. And in a little while, when we go to that, it'll be there. Also, you'll notice a Share This button, which we've added, which is a way that you can post this event to Facebook or to Twitter or stumble upon or Reddit or Delicious or all these other cool ways that there are to network with each other on the Internet. Uh, the older you are, the less likely you are to do this. I understand that. You know, they say, Charlie, don't surf, and boomers don't text <laughs> or do social nets or such. But that's not true. More and more, you know, I think it's pretty much, uh, it, it, how can I say this, not, not at all uncommon for people to use email to forward all kinds of things to each other. It's just the social nets have made it so slick and so easy to do. And uh, those of us who are using the Internet to get our particular product out there, and certainly personal and spiritual development information is valuable information. So we're doing whatever we can to get all of this free material out into the world. Your willingness to use Facebook or Twitter or your email or the Ning site that I just mentioned, any of these things really helps to make a difference. And if you've got time to send a silly joke, you've got time to send your recommendation to a really important website, or as they say, make a comment at the iTunes store um, under this program or other podcasts that you really like. It helps a lot. And uh, you get all kinds of good comment <laughs> and positive feedback from that. All right, so <clears throat> let's get back to our topic for the day today, this obsessive-compulsive, this OCD disorder, and talk about the difference between the two, and then a little about how is OCD different from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, because that's not as clearly related to anxiety as your basic OCD is and anxiety disorder and the behavior that's associated with OCD is behavior that um, ineffectively but nevertheless to some extent does help you manage stress and anxiety it's just dysfunctional behavior and at some point it doesn't really help that much but we'll talk about all of that today and as they say, take your questions. Oh, I, I talked about the people listening on the web. If you're on the telephone and you want to participate in the question and comment section um, in a few minutes when I finish my initial presentation, star two on your telephone touchpad or your Skype dialing pad, star two will raise your hand. I'll get an indication here that uh, you'd like to be called upon, and we can bring you online. Um, so that's a nice feature also. It's not easy getting people to be willing to do that. People would rather send the text than, than be live. But if you're not bashful, it's really a nice addition to the class. So consider that if you're on the telephone or the using Skype today, the audio side of Skype. 
Well, the difference, first of all, between an obsession and a compulsion, simply stated, I'm just going to paraphrase, I'm not going to read from any textbook here at all today. An obsession is a thought or a combination of thoughts and feelings that you just can't seem to shake. Um, you may know the, the term brainworm as associated with a song or a rhyming lyric of some kind. And people will talk about they've got a brainworm going on and just can't stop thinking of this particular song. Well, an obsession is a thought that you can't get rid of, and often negative. It's often a self-effacing, a self-loathing, some sort of degrading or critical self-talk that gets stuck in your head, seemingly, and goes around and around, and you just have a, a hard time shaking it. Compulsion is similar, except that that tends to be a behavior that you have to repeat again and again and again. And we'll talk about some examples of obsessive and compulsive uh, behavior and some other personality, I'm sorry, some other anxiety disorders. There is something, as I mentioned briefly a minute ago, called obsessive compulsive personality disorder that is listed differently in the DSM, which is sort of the Bible for psychotherapists and social workers and those that deliver mental and emotional health services. The DSM, or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, has a large area on anxiety disorders. Um, Most neuroses, most mental problems have some sort of anxiety associated with them because it's just frustrating and and anxiety producing to to have to deal with any kind of uh, mental or emotional dysfunction that's going to generate some anxiety so you find high anxiety in a lot of mental problems but you do have this section of anxiety disorders and OCD is one of them. They also include phobias and fears that, again, are unreasonable. If you have, uh, you know, a uh, a fear of something that is a reasonable danger to you, it's not OCD. Or if you uh, find that you're able to uh, maintain it, a high-functioning behavior in the presence of anxiety and fear, well, you don't really have a problem. It's only a problem if it feels like a problem. Again, if, if it's a need, not a want. If if you can choose to alter the behavior, if you can express your volition and your willpower, well, that's generally not a problem. We all have anxiety. We all have a touch of obsessive and compulsive behavior. It becomes dysfunctional or, you know, out of control um, when you no longer can choose the, uh, the response.
situation. So common anxiety disorders beside OCD include phobias and fears, also um, panic attacks, um, panic disorder, which they used to call nervous breakdown in the 50s, um, or an anxiety attack is usually the same thing, nervous breakdown, anxiety attack, that's that's a panic disorder or panic attacks. Uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, you hear a lot about that with veterans coming home from war. There's also something that's very closely related, but not delayed quite as long, which is acute stress disorder. And uh, then there's general anxiety disorder and the drug companies have added a new one, social anxiety disorder. Uh, sometimes the drug companies will find a drug and then invent a disorder uh, <laughs> to, to have a circumstance where the drug can be prescribed. And uh, this is the field of psychiatry. Psychologists usually don't prescribe drugs and certainly psychotherapists and social workers and spiritual counselors also don't rely on drugs. It's when you go to a psychiatrist who is really a medical doctor that we start talking about so-called medications for these kinds of situations. And that would be a last resort, I'd suggest, to even consider that. So these are the basic anxiety disorders. There are others. Um, and then, as I mentioned, there is something that I'm not nearly as familiar with because in my career, I've worked mostly with anxiety disorders. But there are personality disorders. Um, sometimes you read in the news about the sociopath or the narcissist. Um, it's become very popular in America. This The level of narcissism and people who love them. <laughs> the narcissist is just an arrogant know-it-all uh, who is never wrong, can never admit making a mistake, has a huge ego, a sense of entitlement, truly believes they are superior, have uh, very little feeling, uh, emotional sensitivity, and consequently virtually no ability to empathize with other people. Um, it's an increasingly large segment of our population is suffering from the personality disorder known as narcissism. It's very closely related to the sociopath, which we used to call the psychopath. Uh, there are, again, many personality disorders that have anxiety involved, but are not categorized as core anxiety disorders and so in that way OCD which is our main theme for today as an anxiety disorder is different from OCPD which is obsessive compulsive uh, <clears throat> excuse me I have a little frog in my throat here today where in the world did that phrase come from frog in your throat <laughs> um 
obsessive compulsive personality disorder then is not really an anxiety disorder even though there's as i said anxiety involved in it the obsessive compulsive personality disorder is pretty easy to define or describe it's an individual that feels compelled to order things to have how did they used to say a place for everything and everything in its place everything has to be neat and orderly uh, you might call it perfectionism everything's got to be just right and somebody with obsessive compulsive personality disorder gets real irritated again very nervous and anxious if things aren't just so and if you ask them why they'll say well it's wrong right well what's wrong about it well in their perception it's not perfect it needs to be symmetrical uh, even um, balanced out somehow when I was a kid I had a touch of this and it manifested itself in a, a habit that I grew out of but for a while it was a compulsion that bothered me and that was if I inadvertently found myself tapping one foot or the other I had to count the number of times that I tapped say my left foot and then tap my right foot the same number of times to even it out and then that would lead to all these variations if you tap your left foot twice and you have to tap your right foot twice to even it out well you now you have a pattern that started with the left foot so you need to even out in your own mind of course for no other reason than that you feel compelled to do it by tapping your right foot twice and then your left foot twice so that becomes then a pattern where you tapped your left foot twice and your right foot twice and then repeated that in reverse then that becomes a bigger pattern that you may have to repeat and of course at some point it gets so complicated it's like that electronic memory game Simon um, it's just maddening and so at some point you have to give it up but then the behavior often starts all over again um, this really could stand in both worlds this could be part of uh, obsessive compulsive personality disorder or if it's really rooted in anxiety um, you could just call it obsessive compulsive disorder but the evening out and the idea that everything needs to be perfect if if you watch monk for example who's the classic uh, television character with OCD you'll find he has a little bit of both of these um, Howie Mandel is real well known for being an OCD um, he has the problem with the germ phobia and hand washing and this is something that that monk has as well there was a Jack Nicholson movie about 10 or 12 years ago where he played somebody who had OCD and had to bring his own silverware to the diner and, and like Monk couldn't step on a crack, that whole thing where you 
walk down the street and have to avoid stepping on cracks. So superstition is part of this also. It's just fear. It's just, it's all fear-based. And the point of the program is in a matter of minutes, I'm going to lead us up to what is the root cause? What is the primary underlying reason for the anxiety and what can we do about it? I'm not just going to describe the problem today. I'm going to offer you a solution. I mean, you probably can anticipate if you listen to a few of these ageless wisdom mystery schools that if the problem is fear, then uh, the antidote is understanding because fear, anxiety, stress does have a primary relationship with confusion or ignorance. And so the antidote to fear, which would be peace of mind, right, or in the spiritual sense, love, we have to think of that as understanding. It's understanding uh, and awareness of the truth of things and primarily the truth of who you are that allows the understanding and the peace of mind that is the antidote for the fear and the confusion that supports all of these uh, problems that we're talking about today, obsessive and compulsive disorders. So that's the difference between obsessive and compulsive and a little bit about the difference between OCD as an anxiety disorder and OCD as a personality uh, disorder. Okay, There are many forms of eating disorders that fall into the category of OCD and when we get into the area of uh, anorexia and bulimia and overeating, uh, again, this is all rooted in the need to control, to make things right, and the perfectionism and extreme need for symmetry and orderliness that marks the OC personality disorder, the OCPD. Okay. Let's get back to the much more common OCD, however. Um, I already mentioned the germ phobia. This is a big one for people. They obsess on the idea that there are germs and bacteria and viruses and little bugs everywhere, and they're out to get you and make you sick, and then you might die, right? And this obsessive thinking can lead to compulsive behavior, such as uh, hand-washing. Uh, if you read the book or saw the movie about Howard Hughes, he would wash his hands sometimes till they were literally raw and uh, chapped and burned and red, and still not enough. Again, why do people do these behaviors? Because in the short term, it helps to relieve the stress and anxiety. You have this nagging feeling that you're dirty or that you have germs on your hands. And washing your hands or using an antibacterial wipe uh, will relieve that anxiety, but only for a short term. This is the problem. It's sort of like addiction to a cigarette, you know, where you feel this need inside to have a cigarette so you smoke a cigarette, and it takes away that anxiety, 
but only for a short period. And pretty soon, the anxiety is back with a vengeance. The anxiety you repressed by smoking the cigarette and any new anxiety that is accumulated in the interim. So throughout the day, the anxiety builds and you smoke more and more cigarettes. Well, addictive behavior is similar to a lot of the compulsive behavior that is rooted ultimately in anxiety. This, again, OCD is an anxiety disorder, one of the main anxiety disorders, along with the phobias and the panic attacks, the acute and post-traumatic stress, general anxiety disorder, and there is this, as I say, this new one that's been added, social anxiety disorder. And again, we all have a little touch of this. Who isn't nervous in public? Who doesn't have a little bit of social anxiety disorder? And general anxiety disorder just means if you can't be pegged as having OCD or phobias or panic attacks or post-traumatic stress, <laughs> we've got a category to put you in, and we've got a code that we can put on our reports. It's, an, it's, a, it's a well-intentioned attempt by the community of psychotherapists to have these, uh, these codes, this, this standard, this way of communicating to other people in the field, other professionals, um, in a more scientific way, uh, what we have going on here. But we can overgeneralize as practitioners as well. I don't think that's, that's good either if taken to an extreme. Focusing in on the OCD besides uh, uh, an obsession about germs leading to compulsive behavior with hand washing or clothes, uh, rituals around laundering clothes or spraying Lysol. Um, I worked with a fellow uh, that was just, you know, driven, I want to say driven crazy. It's not a very professional way of speaking, but just in terms of conversational English, it, it was maddening what this fellow put him through. I've worked with a lot of OCD over the years of counseling. Several really stand out. And this guy used to buy Lysol by the case. And you go into the laundry room, and he had the biggest, and I wouldn't say the biggest, but certainly the most expensive washer and dryer I had ever seen. Spent like $4,000 on this washer-dryer combo that he thought, because it was more expensive, would get his clothes even cleaner. And the use of the Lysol was unbelievable how much Lysol this guy is spraying around, as if to create a sterile environment. Now, <clears throat> one of the levels that we worked on was just the cognitive level of being reasonable. Problem is, there's only so far you can go with reason with these people, most of whom are intelligent and understand what you're saying. The, the reasons make sense, 
But again, in most cases, in and of itself, just being reasonable is not enough to fix the problem. So one of the things that we talked about repeatedly was the fact that the world is not sterile, and you don't really want to create a sterile environment. In fact, all you're doing with Lysol, antibacterial wipes, and now they have antibacterial dish soap. You've probably seen that stuff and maybe even been tempted to buy it. Oh, good, I can make sure all the bacteria is killed when I do the dishes. This is a good thing. Well, no, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You need bacteria in your body. You ever heard of probiotics? Of course you have. Why do you eat yogurt? Well, I want the good bacteria in my body. There is flora and fauna, the plants and animals that live in your body, without which you could not be healthy. Researchers have been able to raise mice and rats in sterile environments and through chemicals created uh, a, a environment in the body of the mouse or the rat that was completely devoid of bacteria. And the animals don't develop well and they become sick. They need a certain level of bacteria in the body. Healthy is a balance between good and bad germs or bacteria or viruses or these other, again, microscopic plants and animals that live within you. And you can explain that to somebody who has this germ phobia type of OCD and you know, many of them are very intelligent and understand. And that'll help to a limited degree, except it doesn't really solve the problem because it's coming from an emotional place. The fear and the anxiety is unreasonable. This is one of the most important things that you can understand about your emotional nature. Whether we're talking about OCD or any other form of hurt or upset. Could be anger, could be um, depression, um, whatever the nature of the hurt or the upset, you, you just can't expect it to be a reasonable emotion. Emotions don't have reasons. Emotions by their very nature, especially the fear-based anxiety-based emotions are irrational. They are unreasonable. If, if they were reasonable, they'd be thoughts, not feelings. So so-called reality therapy or cognitive therapy can be valuable as far as it goes, but in most cases, it's not going to provide a complete fix. Another form of OCD that we hear about um, again, we're talking not about the uh, compulsion to be orderly, which we described as obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, but we're into that category of OCD as an anxiety disorder. Besides the germ phobia, the hand-washing, 
the laundry rituals, the using of Lysol, and 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 all of this uh, uh, germ-related OCD. Another fascinating uh, manifestation of anxiety is hoarding. And you might say, wow, this is completely the opposite of OCPD, where people have to have everything neat and orderly. Here is uh, an obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety-based, that is the antithesis of being organized and orderly. And that's where you find value in things that are not valuable. And you're afraid to let go of them because you might be able to use it one day. Um, When I was living in Los Angeles before moving to Hawaii, I volunteered for a little over 10 years with the American Red Cross. And did a lot of anxiety and stress management work with first responders and caregivers, doctors, nurses, firemen, policemen, Red Cross, other Red Cross volunteers. And for a time, I was uh, the captain of a uh, so-called DAT team, D-A-T for uh, Disaster Action Team, which the Red Cross sends out if there's a fire or a flood, even if it only affects one family. It's a way of keeping your people practiced and active and, and skilled at their volunteer services. And there was a fire in uh, the area of Los Angeles where we were living and working, a single-family house fire, there's just one elderly woman lived in the house, and the house didn't burn down. It wasn't totally consumed, but it, it, it was a pretty serious fire by the time the fire department responded. And the woman who lived in this house was next door at her neighbor's. The neighbor did not know her very well at all, but was comforting her and giving her a cup of coffee and Red Cross arrived, and my team showed up, and the social worker came and started interviewing this woman. And she was real nervous, very nervous, about allowing us to see the inside of her house. But the firemen were already trooping in and out of there, and so I went over and checked it out, and she was a hoarder. And this fire had started largely because of her hoarding. And... It was such an extreme case of hoarding. If you know people who never allow anybody into their home, there's a good chance it's because they hoard things. They just can't throw stuff out. And this woman had mountains of junk in every room, piled in every corner, every tabletop, every piece of furniture, every shelf, was a rat's nest of junk, of wire hangers, of cardboard boxes. I saw a stack of egg cartons. There must have been 30 or 40 egg cartons piled up. Why? If you ask a hoarder, for example, somebody with this form, particular form of OCD, 
why are you keeping, say, these egg cartons? They'll look at you like you're crazy and say, are you kidding? Do you know all of the cool things you can do with an egg carton? They're great for organizing. Well, of course, except that these people aren't organized and they're not using this stuff for that. But if you try to throw it away or take it away from them, they get extremely agitated, right? So hoarding is really a refusal to throw away. I don't, I don't think their primary intention is to create this garbage dump in their home. It's just that they can't throw anything away. It creates a high level of anxiety. They're, again, you don't have to be Freud to see that what they're doing is trying to find value in stuff that is not valuable because, want to guess? Because they don't see the value in themselves. The exceedingly poor self-esteem is at the root of the anxiety here. And all anxiety, as I'm headed toward my conclusion here, really is rooted in a failure to understand the self. You know, if I have one central message in these classes and the work that I've done in the human potential and personal development field for more than 35 years, it's to know yourself, to understand yourself, and to begin to explore and recognize how much pain you cause yourself when you fail to understand yourself. Most people would rather understand others and spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out other people, judging other people, as if they could create a no-risk, backward way of knowing something about who they are by judging other people first. And it, it, that's the problem. It is ineffective. It's irrelevant. They're not you, right? Uh, self-knowledge is a job that cannot be delegated to other people. It's something we have to do. We have to face the responsibility and the fear of discovering the truth of who we are and why we think and act and feel the way we do. And there are skills and tools. There's information, there's books, there's seminars, there's classes, webinars like this. There are meditation and contemplation tools that are essential. And uh, other skill sets and techniques. I'm sort of jumping ahead here and foreshadowing my conclusion. Boy, that's something you don't often hear in Maui, sirens. You may not have even heard that, but that's a rare occasion. Sounds like I'm in a big city all of a sudden. So uh, we'll we'll come back to that. I want to talk about different, uh, spend a little more time talking about different ways that OCD can manifest. But that's really where I'm headed with this. What is at the root 
of the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the worry, the doubt, the nervousness, the apprehension, right, that leads to all of these anxiety disorders that I've mentioned. Not just the OCD, but the phobias and the fears and the panic attack, the delayed stress, the acute stress, the general and social anxiety disorders. It's a failure to understand yourself. Where does your pain come from? What is so difficult about life? It's your failure to understand why you think and feel and act the way you do. Why don't we do that? Because it's scary and we don't want to face our fear. What do we do instead? Judge other people. Right? I think it's Tolstoy that is often credited for having said that everybody thinks about changing the world, but very few people ever think about changing themselves as a way to accomplish changing the world. Right? Uh, what are some other common forms of OCD uh, besides the hoarding and the germ phobia? Real common is the door checking and the rituals around making sure that the stove is turned off and you didn't leave the bathtub running or the lights on or that kind of stuff. Again, as I said at the top, we all have a little bit of this and I don't think there's anything wrong at all with double checking to make sure the door is locked. I don't think that there's anything wrong. I think it's intelligent. It makes good sense to double check. Did you turn off the stove? We all get busy and spaced out and, you know, can leave the teapot on the stove or the saucepan where everything boils away and <laughs> who hasn't, you know, burned the soup sometimes. So nothing wrong with double checking, but it's functional behavior to double check and to be careful and to make sure if you can do it and then release it, do it once, do double check, right? And then let it go and be about your business. But if you have to go back a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time, and no matter how many times you check, you just can't seem to convince yourself that you've created a no-risk situation. This is something that OCD people often want. They want to eliminate all of the risk. When a healthy, high-functioning individual is somebody that is willing to take, to accept minimal risk in their lives, they understand that living involves some risk. So deal with it. But the OCD people often want so much control, they want to eliminate any chance that things are going to go wrong. And that's where it becomes dysfunctional. And some people just cannot seem to get to work or to school and have, you know, they make for themselves a very difficult time because they have to go back repeatedly again and again and again and double check to make sure that door is locked and that's when it becomes a dysfunction 
when it's no longer, gee, I choose to double check. Now you're compelled to do it because of this obsessive thought, all rooted in anxiety that checking will resolve, but only to a little degree for a short period of time. But the problem, if the problem persists, this is where you need to get some therapy, some counseling, learn some relaxation skills, some tools for managing your anxiety, primarily know thyself. you got to find a therapist that's going to direct you into self-awareness. There's just no escaping it. Again, beware of the drugs. Personally, I would say seek out a psychologist as a last resort. And even then, don't settle for the for the idea that you're lacking some sort of chemical that these drugs are going to replace. There may be, I would not argue, a need for some psychotropic drugs, some psychiatric drugs, especially for people that are severely ill mentally and emotionally. But anxiety disorders? No. And yet millions of people are on Paxil and Prozac and Zoloft and these other, they used to call them tranquilizers, right? Whatever you call them, this is chemistry that you don't really need. And there are, for the vast majority of people that suffer these anxiety disorders, other better ways. You may consider doing those meds for a short period of time, but their SRIs, what they are is serotonin reuptake inhibitors. It prevents the naturally produced brain neurotransmitters, brain chemicals like serotonin, from being eliminated, and so they build up, and you get an artificial sense of being okay, (laughs) Uh, an artificial euphoria because of the chemicals that are normally flushed out of your body every 24 hours, these neurotransmitters, they're a good thing. But to take a drug to prevent them from being, you know, uh, replaced and washed out of the system may not be the best idea. Most people just don't need to do it unless they refuse to discover themselves, then these problems are not going to get better. The obsessional, this is an interesting phrase, turn of a phrase, is a type of OCD that I've seen in my practice. People who are terrified that they're going to cause injury to other people, that they're going to hurt somebody, are often called obsessionals. Um, I had a client who came home one day with about 150 pounds of dog food in the car. And his wife said, why did you buy all this dog food? We have cats. We don't have a dog. And he said, 
you know, I'm sorry, but I got it in my head while I was shopping at the grocery store. I just had this brain worm, this fixation, this obsessive thought that I had somehow poisoned one of the bags of dog food. And not knowing which one, I bought all the dog food. I remember working in session with this fellow and pointing out, isn't it ironic that you're such a kind and considerate person that you would buy all of this dog food to make sure no dogs got poisoned or hurt from a behavior that you fear you may have committed? But what kind of person would poison the dog food versus what kind of person would buy all the dog food to make sure no dogs got poisoned? I mean, which one of these two are you? And the truth is he didn't know. I mean, it's a great example of what I'm talking about. The failure to know yourself is a failure to understand where are these thoughts coming from and which of these thoughts are real. Which of these thoughts do I choose to embrace? And which of these thoughts do I release as absurd? Right? Most people don't know. Grow old and die and never learn to manage their thoughts. And then we have the same situation with emotional feelings. Well, which of these feelings are real and valid and true and reflect me? And, and which of them are passing, fleeting moods or aberrations? Something I may be going through now, but isn't really typical of the kind of feeling I normally would have in a circumstance or situation like this. If you don't know yourself, you don't know which thoughts and feelings to own. You know that phrase? We talked about this a few weeks ago. That phrase, on second thought, well, think about that for a minute, on second thought. That means I just got a very different thought. Hold on here. On second thought, maybe that's not true. Or maybe it's different. Or, wait a minute. So if you are your thoughts, and you have conflicting thoughts, that's maddening. <laughs> that's going to generate a lot of anxiety, which could result in any one or more of these anxiety disorders. And as I said at the top of the show, anxiety is a part of virtually all disorders, personality disorders, mental illness, you know, bipolar, major depression. Anxiety plays a role in all of this. I, I've, I've just focused on that area in the DSM of anxiety disorders, because OCD is one of those, but what's at the root? You don't know who you are. Some psychotherapists will say, oh, it's the fear of death. Ultimately, all fear is the fear of death. I don't think so. I think ultimately, all fear is the fear of living, not of dying. 
We're not afraid of death. We're afraid of life. That's why I like that Marianne Williamson quote so much about it's it's not the negative in our lives that we fear. It's not the shadow or the darkness, though it appears scary. It's our magnificence. It's our light. It's our potential that terrifies us. <laughs> because along with the positive comes a fear that it may not be true. People are afraid of success for the same reason they're afraid of failure. I'm afraid of success because sooner or later I'm going to fail. So are you running your mind or is your mind running you? Are you able to manage your thoughts and feelings, to hold them at arm's length, to ponder them, to walk all around a feeling or a thought Look at it from all of these different angles and decide whether to take ownership or cast it aside. Most people cannot do that. Refuse to do that. It's not true that we're unable or unable. It's mostly a matter of being unwilling to do it. And there's very little reinforcement. We don't know other people. You may, because look, you're here at the Mystery School. Many of you are here week after week, either live or listening to the podcast. You're an exceptional individual. So you may know other exceptional women and men who really are interested in their potential, discovering and developing who they really are as unique human beings. Part of the one life, but nevertheless unique. Both things are true. How can we all be part of the one life and yet each of us be unique and diverse? One of the great paradoxes of philosophy. And it's not an either or, it's an and. (laughs) Both things are true. You see it in ecology and the environment, the same paradox. It's one life support system. It's a single ecosystem. It's a single environment. But its strength, its unity, comes from the diversity of the bits and the pieces and the parts. You see, And the more diversity, the stronger the whole. That's to understand that is a higher brain function. And if you're anxious and confused because you don't know who you are or why you exist or what you're for, then those higher brain functions, critical thinking, and emotional intelligence are less likely to be available to you. Another obsessional I worked with was somebody that had a hard time getting to work because they kept entertaining the obsessive thought that they had run over someone without knowing it. And so they had to circle back. And I said, well, what if you circle back and there's nobody there? And my client, who, of course, I will not name, you know, I don't name any of these case studies because of confidentiality, (laughs) sometimes I have to reassure my clients, no, I'm not going to talk about you next week. 
in the mystery school or publish a blog about you. You know, everybody gets confidentiality, but we can discuss them as case studies because it's not all that uncommon, really. And I said, so you loop around, you come back, and you see there's nobody laying in the road. You didn't really hit anybody. He said, well, often I would pull over to the side and look through the bushes, thinking they might have crawled off into the bushes someplace. And I said, so you'll literally go looking for them? Yeah. And I say, well, what if you look through all the bushes and you don't find them? He said, well, sometimes I'll check the hospitals because I think, well, maybe an ambulance came and took them away already. But you see how there's no end to this. It never gets resolved. That's part of what's so maddening. Now, he could call all the hospitals and there's nobody there. And what could he do anyway? The mind will, the tortured OCD mind will continue to spin another possibility. It'll lie to you. It'll tell you all kinds of horrible stories. Is your mind lying to you? Does your mind lie to you? Especially about negative stuff, does it it tell you lies? Well, of course it does. But we don't have to believe the lie. We don't have to encourage the mind. We don't have to reinforce the behavior. Okay. Uh, so, there's the hand washing and the germ phobia. There's the uh, door checking and making sure all the appliances are turned off. We've talked about obsessionals. We've talked about um, orderliness, the OC personality disorder. Um, another uh, manifestation, we'll do one more here, that um, again sort of bears upon the obsessive compulsive personality disorder, but often is just pure anxiety, is the need to um, straighten things, like the picture on the wall. People will go to opposites of extremes, measuring. And they'll get levels with, you know, you know what a level is with a little bubble in it to make sure it's straight. Or spending hours trying to get the fringe on an area rug just right, just so, as if that's going to allow you eventually to get to a place where you can release all of this anxiety and it just never works. These are some of the main forms of obsessive compulsive behavior. I did mention that this also touches upon eating disorders and the desire to have control or to be a good little girl or a, or a good boy to make your parents proud. So much of it is control, trying to get your way, Uh, rooted in frustration from childhood and what back then was legitimate anger. But often as kids, we're not allowed to express our anger or our outrage, our sense of injustice. We don't have the words, we don't have the vocabulary 
We don't have the ability to understand and often are denied, in most cases, children are denied the opportunity to express themselves even if they did have the understanding and the vocabulary. This is a big part of what psychotherapy and hypnotherapy and other forms of talk therapy and counseling is about, is using the mind that you've developed now as an adult to go back to these memories of childhood, explore them, re-examine them, and understand what you did not understand as a child, and then find an appropriate way of expressing what you were not allowed to express as a child. You often hear in the overeating community, it's not what you eat, it's what's eating you. There was a book written 15, 20 years ago called Feeding the Hungry Heart. You only think you're feeding your stomach. Most of us that overeat are feeding our hearts. Again, food is a tranquilizer. It works to calm you down. Comfort food, it works. It makes you feel better. People that binge and purge often feel better when they purge. After they're done eating, they feel disgusted at themselves. They have like a, a mirror image version, and they feel better after they purge. But still, there's another quality of shame that goes with having purged. And it's complicated because they might be 25, 35, 45, 55 years old, not realizing that the need to control and the hurt, often the rage and the anger and the sense of injustice at the core of it is so old. It goes back to childhood. And it's, it's so old that it just doesn't occur to us that the reason I'm angry goes back to when I was five years old. It really has nothing to do with you, the person who's receiving the brunt of my anger. Have you, have you noticed how <laughs> we can have a lot of negative emotions that don't need to be directed at other people? You know, it'd sound funny if you said, well, I'm feeling lonely. I'm lonely at you. <laughs> I'm depressed at you. I could be lonely and blame you for being lonely. I could be depressed and blame you, but it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily as, yeah, I'm angry at you, and you're the reason I'm angry. No, I'm not the reason that you're angry. I just happened to be in the room. You, you you were already angry. This anger may be 20, 30, 40 years old. With this feeling that it needs to be directed out into the world and we need to find somebody out there to blame because, God forbid, it couldn't have anything to do with me. Right? 
I don't want to blame myself. Well, you don't have to blame yourself, but we do have to take responsibility. This is an important concept. Accepting responsibility for our pain, our confusion, our ignorance of who we are and why we think, feel, and act the way we do. To take responsibility is not to shift the blame from others to yourself. It's to throw away the idea of blame altogether. Get over it. Responsibility is not self-blame. Actually, responsibility is emancipating. It's liberating. Because now, instead of needing another person to change for you to feel better, the only thing you have to change is yourself. Now, that might be scary, right? Because all fear ultimately is fear of the unknown. And if you change, well, you might not know who you are. Yeah, but then again, you might like who you are a whole lot better. <laughs> you know, that's the reward for that. So there, uh, that's pretty much a, uh, an overview of anxiety disorders, the group of anxiety disorders, that particular anxiety disorder called OCD, which is also found in other mental health problems like personality disorders, the narcissist, the sociopath, uh, they have high levels of anxiety. The obsessive-compulsive personality disorder we talked about has high levels of anxiety, but it's been separated out of the anxiety disorders. I know this is all a little confusing. But basically, the OC personality disorder is limited to the perfectionism, the desire to get everything straight and orderly and just so, to make it right, okay? Whereas OCD as an anxiety disorder takes all of these forms that we've talked about and more, okay? What to do about it? Relax. Meditate. Contemplate. Study. You've got to learn. You've got to read, right? But most importantly, use states of relaxation. Take a yoga class. Take a meditation class. Learn to breathe, to relax, and to contemplate, to listen to yourself, to stand open and receptive, to put down the logic and the reasoning and open yourself, listen, and open yourself to your intuitive nature. Not your instinctive nature. Sometimes the so-called gut feeling could refer to an instinct or an intuition. And they're very different. The instinct is like second chakra. It's very sacral. It's very... Uh, animalistic, it's herd mentality, it's mob psychology, it's animal behavior, that instinct. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intuition, which is much higher. 
That's solar plexus. It's third chakra aspiring to four, fourth chakra, which is your heart. Intuition is light. You've heard love and light? Well, the aha experience, the light is the mental side of the love and light. Love is usually, loves the same thing, but usually refers to the feeling aspect, the peace, the contentment, the fulfillment, love and light. These are products of your intuitive nature, which you can develop. Come to understand yourself. The thing I want you to know is that the game is rigged. The more you know about yourself, the more you are going to like who you are. I promise. It's guaranteed. This universe, God, the absolute, the creator, whatever, doesn't make junk. There are no bad people here. There are people who do bad things. There are people who behave and in in horrible ways, even evil. But they weren't born that way. There are no evil babies born. They learned that along the way. Somebody screwed them up. Somebody hurt them horribly. Somebody did not supply the love, the comfort, the safety that the little child needed. And so they become narcissists or egomaniacal. They have a sense of entitlement and superiority. They don't think they're better than other people. They're convinced. They absolutely know that they are better than other people. This is a mental illness. But if you know you tell them that, they'll look at you like you're crazy. Because they already know that if they're the only person that's out of step, you know, if there's a hundred people marching, one's the narcissist marching to his own drummer, uh, the other 99 are wrong. There's just no question about it. You're all wrong. The, the narcissist, the sociopath, they know that they're superior, and they're always right. And they never admit making mistakes. Right? And most of our government and media and corporate people are narcissists. They have a fixation on the appearance of things. They have this sense of entitlement. They never make mistakes. You may know one. America has a love affair with narcissists. Just another personality disorder and a lot of anxiety comes from that but again anybody that has a big ego is somebody that by definition does not know the truth of who they are you don't get a big ego from self-awareness you lose your ego from self-awareness the more you know about who you are the more humble you become the more free the happier you are the healthier you are because your ego gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's something that is used only when you're in real danger. And the ego leaps to the fore and manages fight or flight for you at the cost of all these higher brain functions 
but you can bring them online later when you're out of danger. Right? The more you know about yourself, the smaller and less significant is the part of you that you call the self. And the true self emerges, which is not separated. The true self, the higher self, lives in harmony with the world as a member of the human family and the world community and grants dignity and respect to all sentient beings. It's not a choice you make so much as an awareness that comes to you if and when you're willing to do the work. And this is the peace of mind, this is the absence of anxiety that fixes OCD and all these other anxiety disorders. Know thyself. According to Plato, this was inscribed over the oracle to Apollo in ancient Greece. 4,000 years ago and more. Know thyself. Wise women and men knew this 4,000 years ago. Who's saying it today? 2,500 years ago in China, the sage Lao Tzu said, he who knows others is wise, but he who knows himself is enlightened. should fix that for pronouns. One who knows others is wise. One who knows oneself is enlightened. Uh, Hamlet, to thine own self be true. And there's a great phrase in the Gospel of Thomas, which most Christians don't seem to want to know anything about, discovered in 1947 at Nagamani. The Gospel of Thomas, Christ is quoted as having said, when you understand who you are, you will realize that you are all sons of the living Father. This is Jesus Christ to the Catholic and Protestant churches, the Christians, insist is the only Son of God, saying, as the Old Testament says, the Hebrew Bible said the same thing, you're all children of the Most High. But Christ said, as you come to know yourself, you will recognize that you are all sons and daughters of the living Father. Those who fail to do that, he goes on to say, live in poverty, and that poverty is theirs. And he doesn't mean financial poverty, does he? He's talking about the wasteland of anxiety and stress. The heartache that comes from a failure to know yourself. You are the most important person in your life. And it's not egotistical, quite the contrary. For you to know that truth and accept that truth. Uh, try it. Try it out right now. Say to yourself, silently, internally, if you wish, I am the most important person in my life. 
if that causes you to feel in any way superior, you got work to do. You don't know who you are. If, on the other hand, you can say that to yourself, I am the most important person in my life, and you feel humble and feel like, i got to find more opportunities to be of service and to help other people to make a contribution to my community, that's why I'm the most important person in my life, to maximize my charity, my sense that I'm part of the one life. That's what charity really means, to be part of the one life. then you're on the path. As the Buddhists would say, you are a stream enterer. You have entered the stream and perhaps have as few as seven lifetimes remaining. Once you know, you are not that separated, fear-based, egoic self. Once you sense the harmony and even the unity of the true sense of self, which is not separated, but part of the whole. Once you do that, you're on the path. Let's go to the questions and comments, see what people have. And I'll check the phone first. Again, star two, if you'd like to raise your hand. We have now a lot of people on the telephone. Don't see any hands raised, though. If you're on your regular telephone, landline or cell star two if you're using audio skype same thing just open up your dialing pad star two and um let me check i'll come back i'll come back to the telephones here let me check the uh the text questions here it is i don't know why i find this so confusing sometimes Let's start with, uh, oh, here we go. Let's start with uh, with Craig in um, Kentwood, Michigan. He says, at what point does, quote, I love doing this as perfectly as possible, become obsessive or compulsive? When it's someone you love and they seem happy, why stop them? Well, when it's no longer a choice, Craig. As long as somebody chooses uh, to do something perfectly and they enjoy being skilled and expressing their skills and their talents with something truly beautiful, um, if that's a choice, then it's high-functioning, no problem. It only becomes dysfunctional when one no longer uh, wants but now needs, when it's not a choice. They've got to do it. It becomes maddening, frustrating, and then it's never quite good enough. You know, an interesting lesson along these lines, the ancient Greeks, and if you go to museums, sometimes you can see these really old busts of heads and bodies that were done by the old Greeks 
or Romans or others from antiquity. And they're perfect, but they're not beautiful. And it took quite a while for these artists and artisans to realize that the reason the busts and the paintings were not beautiful is that they were too perfect. They were too symmetrical. In every case, both ears were exactly the same size and the same distance from the midline at the nose and at the you know, same elevation, at the same point vertically on the head. When real people, one ear is always a little bigger and, you know, offset from the other one. One eyebrow is a little different. One eye is placed a little differently. One cheekbone. I remember years ago as a boy seeing Johnny Carson do this uh, fascinating uh, a demonstration of this principle by taking a mirror and holding it 90 degrees down the midline of a movie star's headshot. And to look at the left face, and the camera would come in and they would look at the left side of the face on the picture, but also mirrored as if it were the right side of the face, when it's just a reflection of the left. You couldn't recognize that person. Then he'd do the same thing with the right side of the face. And the left side would be a mirror image of the right side. Completely different looking person. Neither of them looked like the movie star. Right? Because we're not symmetrical. Beauty is not perfect. The Greeks finally realized beauty is in, if you will, imperfection. Perfect is imperfect. Imperfect. <laughs> it's perfectly imperfect. Sometimes I'll say to clients, look, imagine coming out of the woods into a meadow. You're a photographer or a painter. And you come out of the woods into a meadow and there's two trees, this perfectly shaped symmetrical fir tree, conifer. And next to it is this massive oak tree or a redwood that's all twisted and gnarly and scarred and burned up one side. Where are you going to point your camera? At the perfect tree or at the gnarly burned up one side tree? Well, the, the, the one with the history, <laughs> the one that's got a story to tell, the perfection is in the one that seems imperfect. It's much more interesting. So, you know, your your example begs the question, what's perfect? And often our idea of perfection is way too symmetrical. Let's go to La Habra and Carol, who just says hi. She said, uh, couldn't get on with the email you sent today. Has asked for an event ID. Oh, I don't know what that was about. One of the links I sent out was bogus. I don't know why that was so. But, you know, in the event that that ever happens to you, you see a post on Facebook or Twitter or uh, you get uh, 
uh, an email or something and the link just doesn't work for whatever reason, you can always go to my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on the home page to go inside and then click on the web teleconference and they're all there. The upcoming one, the one we may be in the middle of, the past ones, they're all they're all right there. Right. Theagelesswisdom.com. Click on the home page to go inside and then web teleconferences. Right? You can always get in that way. Diane in Albuquerque says aloha. And uh, she said the same thing. She's she had a problem with that email link. I noticed that this morning. Don't know what that was about. In Irvine, Bob Fiegel says, Aloha, Michael, great topic. Always trying to control everything in my life. Control it to a fault. I double-check everything to make sure that I do nothing wrong, and when something does go wrong, I spend way too much time analyzing what I could have done and find myself feeling depressed and frustrated. What's the best way to overcome this fear of failing? Well, Again, I would take issue, Bob, even with overcome. Uh, I don't think fear of any kind should be overcome or defeated or conquered. I think you should drop it, release it, and let it go. The fear that we sometimes experience as being stuck in or stuck to us, like gum at the bottom of your shoe, we're actually holding on to. Stress is carried as muscular tension. That's a holding on, right? Tight muscles. And that holding on is a metaphor for many things. So why would you have to overcome or conquer something that's yours in the first place? All of your limitations, all of your walls and barriers I don't mean just you, but all of us, everyone. We build these walls brick by brick. These barriers are ours. These limitations that we pretend are imposed upon us by circumstance, we've imposed upon ourselves in most cases. To some extent, in all cases, by our refusal to know who we are, to face our fear, to find a good teacher. You know, whether it's me or someone else, I, I do telephone counseling and Skype counseling from here in the middle of the Pacific and can help a lot of people. We've got this seminar that's absolutely, this, this Sunday webinar that's absolutely free. And then I encourage you to Go wherever you need to go to read good information, inspiring literature. Learn about fear. It's always rooted, call it anxiety, stress, whatever term you use. It's always rooted in something unknown. All fear is fear of the unknown. And I'm here to tell you that at the roots, at the core, what's unknown is you. You don't have to know the world around you. You have to know the you that's moving through the world around you. 
instead of judging others as a backward way to know yourself, introspect, contemplate, meditate every day. Know yourself, then you can empathize with other people. Other people are easy to understand when you see yourself in them. And that's the order. It's like give and receive. You've got to give before you receive. You can't receive and then give. You can't want somebody to love you so you have enough love to give to somebody else. You have to find the love in you and give that away. And then you will be loved. The order is very important. <laughs> it's real important. In Arcadia, Judy Kraft is with us and says, Aloha, Michael. Excellent presentation. Enjoyed the class. Thank you, Judy. Uh, very informative, she says, and uh, hello to Doreen. Ginger in England is with us today. Must be nighttime in England. And says, Aloha, Michael and Doreen. Love to hear your voice and wisdom. Thank you, Ginger. And um, let me hit refresh and see if there's any more here. And then we'll go to the telephones. I guess that's it. Let's uh, go back to the telephones and see who's on. And uh, I believe this is Patricia in Los Angeles. Patricia, you're in the mystery school. Oh, wait a second. This didn't. Let me try it again. I'm having a problem unmuting you today. Are you there? No? Can you hear me? Oh, now I can. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Esther Ramirez is me. (laughs) I know. I called you Patricia this time. Yeah. I I got it right. How you doing? Okay. That's a really good show today, class today. Thank Uh, you. I know a lot of people with that in my family. With some sort of OCD? Oh, yeah, one that has very severe, it takes him like an hour to get out of the bathroom because he has to wash his hands every time he touches anything. Mm. And he's uh, gone through so many, he washes a porcelain sink so bad he wears out sinks all the time. Wow. He spends like $150 a month on paper towels and cleaning things. Yeah, it's such a shame. Does this gentleman... um admit that he's got a problem, or does he just no, think everybody... No, uh, actually, he's a, some, a relative of a re- of person I know, and I've known him for a long time, and he's, uh, he's gotten worse. So he's in denial about it being a problem. Yeah, he's uh, really too out of it to even bring it up to him. I mean, they should have taken him to have, get help a long time ago. And What would happen if somebody confronted him? He would... Uh, Ignore it. Just ignore. Would, uh, or walk away and not want to talk. And I don't know what. And I, I tell you, I wouldn't want to confront him like that. He's he needs a professional. Yeah. Well, I'm not suggesting you do. I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> you, know. you know how people live in the world and manage to. Um, he he has a job, everything, you know. But uh, and the people he works with, they just. Uh, I guess they just, you know, let him do his thing as long as he does his job. Yeah, right. That's maddening, and it'll never get better, of course. No, until... it won't. It's just getting worse. Yeah. Does it'll it make never... sense what I've been talking about here, that the antidote to all of this fear is to know 
the self that yeah. at the root of everything or at the core of everything we don't know in our lives and that's a lot of stuff we're all ignorant of many things you know i was thinking because uh, i know that you know everybody's got things uh, issues and like me uh my daughter says that i have a thing about uh i don't think i'm good enough or something you know that i don't really put myself out there because uh I have fear of something. I don't know. She said, uh, I should find out what it is. And I was thinking that sometimes, that have you ever run into people that the fear is so deep they, they can't remember it no matter what? Oh, sure. The good news is you don't need to remember it. Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. No. just need to accept that. There is something. Something's there, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you I mean, remember again, it. Uh, would it make sense to you that if you're um, afraid of embarrassing yourself... That could be that, a part of it. That, <laughs> yes, go that, on. Does it make sense that when you were a child, maybe you were humiliated or embarrassed? Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. So it's a learned behavior. So, I see. You know, my approach as a hypnotherapist would be to facilitate a session of really deep relaxation, feeling really safe with your eyes closed, and then imagine yourself as the woman you've become walking up to the little girl you were at one of those times that you were humiliated and rescue her, put your arms around her and comfort her and introduce yourself. Say, I'm the woman you've become. And I'm here to rescue you and explain to you what's going on here and that you have nothing to be ashamed of. You've become an intelligent, talented, and beautiful woman. And in fact, you're going to come with me instead of living back here in this dreary, ancient past with all these cobwebs and <laughs> dust. You're coming with me into my future, and you can live in my heart forevermore. And you know, I know how to do that. I've never done it for myself, though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I was thinking maybe I was afraid to do it. I don't know. Uh, I understand. Again, it's all, <laughs> all fear is what you don't know. So something yeah, you've never done before is going to be a little scary. It might seem a little risky, but... Think about it. That's that's an easy thing you could do and do well. Yeah, I meditate. I just uh, don't. I I don't know if you know about uh, dreams, that, about what they mean. But every time I dream about my grandmother's house, my old house where I grew up when I was like five, before five, it's never a good dream. It's always a scary dream. Yeah, well, that's uh, something that, that has to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I would redream it then again with yeah. awareness in a meditative level. Go back, explore the place, and the beautiful thing about the deep relaxation is when you go there with an open mind and an open heart. When you, as I say, sit receptive and intuitively open. These ideas occur to you, these realizations, the memories come back. You begin to understand and say, oh, I remember now. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. 
oh, well, no wonder I always felt, oh, yeah, well, that makes, I see now. And, you know, you just keep repeating the process, and then you'll stop having the dream. I mean, doesn't it make sense that the dream or the nightmare is an attempt by some part of you to reach out to the other part and say, could you fix this? You think so? That's what it is. I yeah. have it a lot. Yeah. That's what a reoccurring dream is. Ah, uh, yeah. I, if I, you fixed uh, it. I was going to say, I don't want to take up all the time. Um, the OCD. We we all have a touch of it. You said. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, and me, it's I. Uh, I double. I can't check. throw away my toys. <laughs> oh, you have toys. <laughs> well, is it a problem for you? No, I don't think so. Everybody else thinks so. They think I'm a hoarder. <laughs> if it's not a problem, then don't but, uh, worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I just like having them. I don't know, it makes me feel comforted. Yeah, do you think if you had fewer, you would feel just as comfortable? I don't know. It's just like I hate, like you said, I hate. I don't want to. I don't want to throw away, like, say, a teddy bear or something. Sometimes uh-huh. I feel like maybe it has feelings. <laughs> you know, I know it's kind of funny because I'm an adult, and all kids think that way. Well, yeah, but again, <laughs> wouldn't that suggest that the part of you? that is responsible for feeling that way is that inner child. Yeah. See, we know that you've heard it said, you've even heard me say, I'll bet, that when you cut down a tree, you can tell its age by the rings. Yeah. That every tree this tree has ever been is within it. Uh-huh. Well, every person that you've ever been is still within you. Yeah still there it comes out you're saying exactly mm. so that's who's reaching out and saying patricia big patricia old patricia the adult at the leading edge i need your help back here mm. the four-year-old the five-year-old the six-year-old the 12-year-old the four i don't whenever you were most traumatized a good place to begin to look is four to six do you think it's because of this, uh, all these things I've been reading in your classes and everything that all this is coming out yeah. more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. Yeah, but I think also the fact that it's coming out may be causing the interest also. It's probably a positive cycle. Oh, yeah, that too. I didn't yeah. think about that one. All right, Patricia. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Michael. Nessa. I love this class. <laughs> I like Thank them all. But... Have a wonderful day. Aloha. You too. Aloha. Bye-bye. Let's go over to Albuquerque. And Diane, you're in the Mystery School with Michael. Hi. Aloha, Michael. This was the greatest class. Oh, thank you. Aloha. Aloha. You know, I went through a period of time um, during a high-stress time in business and on my job, where I would get so preoccupied when I was leaving the house, multitasking, you know, to go to work, I'd be thinking of a presentation I had to do or what what all needed to get completed in the day. And I'd leave the house, pull out in the driveway, and have to get out of the car and come check the house that I turned everything off. And I knew that, I mean, that was crazy. And so that went on for a while, and it was bothering me, but 
you know, I'd go to work and then I'd forget about it and the next morning it would happen again. And then I would leave the driveway and pull out in the street and go down to the end of the street and worry that I didn't close the garage door. Right. And so I'd have to drive back and check it. And so this went on for several weeks, and all of a sudden I said, you know what, this is insane. This is not even healthy. Right. And the way I stopped it was I would force myself before I'd leave the house to take those deep breaths and hold. Uh-huh. Let go, go down in alpha, focus, and close up the house. And then get in the car, do the breathing again, stay centered and focused, pull out and close the garage door, and I was fine. It stopped. But that really bugged me. I was going, my goodness, how unhealthy. You're you're lucky you were able to manage it that easily. Um, You know, a funny thing about memory, like if it's, Something like you've described, or let's say I just don't know where my keys are. Where do I leave those damn keys? The one thing that we know when we can't remember something like that is that we weren't paying attention. Exactly. At the time, when we put the key down or when we rattled the door. So if we're stressed, which means you got, instead of six or eight ideas competing for your attention, you got a head full of... 12 or 15 or 20 ideas all spinning around and demanding your attention while you check the door. Exactly. So you're not If you're not paying attention, you can check again and again and again, but then you say, well, gee, did I? I don't remember. The reason you don't remember is you weren't paying attention at the time. Exactly. So one of the things I have people practice in a situation like this, with their eyes closed, the slow, deep breathing, relaxing, practice it with your eyes closed, and then you can be more skilled at doing it with your eyes open when the time comes, is just stop the world. If you go, that's what I call it, stop the world. You go back to check that garage door or to make sure the front door's locked, you grab a hold of that door and then stop the world. You stop the distractions in your head and become totally present and say to yourself as you rattle that door, this door is locked and it will be easy to remember. Yeah, that's a great one too. The other one is giving, finding a way to organize your life so you have a few extra minutes if you're going to be leaving the house so that you can be calm. And when you're calm, you pay attention and you focus, you remember. Yeah. There's no question about that. The challenge, however, is that anxiety often feels exciting. And we like the thrill, the excitement, even Diane, uh, I've seen in my own life, I, I'm a, 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 you know, it's embarrassing to admit, but a sense of phony self-importance that if I were calm and relaxed and organized, I wouldn't be able to maintain. 
But, of course, I don't really need it. It's only my egoic self that fears I need to be important. I really don't. You see? So it's a practice to give up that sense of self-importance, but that then allows you to give up the stress and the anxiety that sort of can be misinterpreted as excitement. Fear and excitement, you know, there's a very thin line between oh boy and oh no. So that's one of the problems a lot of people have with getting there 10 minutes early. It's like, well, I'm way too busy and way too important <laughs> to be that organized and get there that early. You know, what? what's the world going to do without me? It'll stop, you know, what will they do at work if I don't and it's it's not true, right? We uh, exactly. And if you can give yourself the the gift of saying, "Okay, calm down, go slow, focus." So what if you're five minutes later? Well, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing stops, nothing ends. Yeah. If and if you're okay with being a little late, then I think. The next step is to be okay, as you said, with being a little more organized and leaving early. And, you know, um, my friend and business partner, Steve Snyder, always has a book with him. And so when he arranges to get there early, because he just loves being a little early, he hates being late. So he gets there early, and his reward, the, the carrot out in front of the mule, his reward is, if I get there early, I get to read my book for 10 minutes. Exactly. And I like being early, too. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't like being late. I like being a little bit earlier, right on time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got a parting shot? Um, just enjoyed the class. This was a wonderful class. I hope we do more like this. What about it? What do you mean uh, in terms of more like this would be classic? Well, you know, you picked a subject that is kind of, I think all of us at some time in our lives may deal with this compulsive behavior. Right. And the class, you know, allows and invites each one of us to kind of visit what we're really actually doing. I think everybody goes at such a fast pace in this life, we don't always look at ourselves, right. you know, and begin to understand, yeah, that that's probably something I'd like to work on or change. Yeah. And bringing up these types of things that, you know, can be a neuroses or and, and some other behaviors that people don't like, but a touch of them is common to everybody at one time or another in their lives usually. So. We've, we've all got anxiety. It's part of the condition of living. Exactly. As exactly. Patricia said, we've all got issues too. Exactly. And yeah. I enjoyed Patricia's comments and and what she was talking about. Yeah. So look at her artwork, Diane, <laughs> on the, on the uh, Ning site. Patricia posted some more of her uh, wonderful paintings and she uses such intense bright colors uh if you get a chance uh you're a member on the ning site right yes and i you know i've seen a lot of her artwork it's just wonderful yeah it's really cool 
delight to look at. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Diane. Uh, thanks. Have a wonderful day. You too. Aloha. Aloha. I mentioned the Ning site at the top of the show. I sent out a, uh, a note to all the members this morning about a new feature, which is a daily digest, a summary of uh, what's going on. And uh, we now have about 130, I think a little more than 130 members. So I'm going to shift gears and kick it up a little bit and uh, do a little more promotion now. And again, if you missed the front end of the program today, uh, let me just repeat briefly this uh, social net for people like you who are interested in personal and spiritual development. It's like Human Potential Facebook. All right. And uh, the address is very similar to my primary website, theagelesswisdom.com. You just insert N-I-N-G, Ning. It's theagelesswisdom.ning.com. It's all free. Check it out and uh, look around. Create for yourself as you sign up a uh, profile, uh, add a picture, a photo, a headshot, or at least an avatar, and uh, look at the JPEGs, look at the videos, check the messages. All of my podcasts are listed there. It's a very cool site. And all we need is a little more um, interactivity. For example, start a discussion thread. You see, 98% of what's posted on the discussions are promotions for this class on Sunday. Well, I don't mean to hog it. It's just that few other people are posting. And that if you don't participate, you don't think to go there. And, you know, it's sort of a vicious cycle. So start a discussion thread. Write on the blog. Post some JPEGs or some videos from YouTube that you really like. And check out that site, theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Remember, all of these programs, these classes, are streaming on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. And for just 99 cents a week, you can upgrade to a premium audio at focusedpassion.com. Thanks for being with us. We're all out of time. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Hawaii.